You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hey, welcome to the Station F podcast. I'm Cindy Yang, and I'm super excited to host Wade Foster, the co-founder and CEO of Zapier, on the show today. Zapier is the leading automation tool in the ever-growing no-code space, and earlier this year, it reached $5 billion in valuation. Now, a lot of people might think of Zapier as your standard Silicon Valley startup that's raised loads of money with VCs. But apart having done YC, the company has actually taken a very different path. Wade and his co-founders started Zapier in Columbia, Missouri. They've been running the company entirely remote before the pandemic made it commonplace, and they've only raised a total of $1.4 million in funding. So in this episode, Wade tells us the secrets behind the spectacular growth of Zapier, uh, some invaluable tips for startups looking to scale, and a lot more. So without further ado, let's dive in. This podcast is supported by TikTok. TikTok is a key platform for businesses. By constantly making sure that the platform remains a safe place for everyone, TikTok offers a welcoming and positive environment where companies can express themselves in their most authentic way. So what if TikTok was the asset your business needed today to thrive tomorrow? Hi, Wade. Great to have you on the show. Hey, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into Zapier, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So back in 2011, right before you started the company, you were actually a saxophone player. And now fast forward 10 years, you're running a multi-billion dollar tech company with millions of users. How did you come to start? Well, uh, so I was playing saxophone with my co-founder, Brian, who uh, also played, he plays uh, bass. And so we were in a jazz and blues quartet together. We were doing a lot of side projects and other types of work together and always sort of had an inkling that we would start a company. I don't know that we had a lot of ideas of what that might look like at the time. You know, we were always texting each other back and forth with different ideas and, you know, pie in the sky things that we might consider trying. In the meantime, taking on freelance jobs and just anything to help us make a buck or two. And one day Brian texted me and said, hey, you know, one idea that I think could be really useful is to make it really simple for a business user to be able to connect the tools that they're using. You know, you could integrate MailChimp and Wufu or Zendesk and Salesforce with a quick little like drag and drop click UI. And at the time I was a uh, working in email marketing and I was a pretty poor engineer. I wasn't, uh, I was capable of doing only the basics and I was struggling with the Marketo API uh, it was this old school soap whistle thing that was just not very uh, conducive to amateur engineers building on it. And so I, my reaction to that was like, wow, this would really make my life a whole lot easier if I had something like Zapier to set this stuff up. And so when he pitched me the idea, my eyes immediately were like, wow, that is a really cool idea. We should, we, we should try something there. And so he and I went to, there was this startup weekend event happening in Columbia, Missouri at the time. And we teamed up with our uh, third co-founder, Mike, to build out the first prototype. We had a fun, ton of fun working on it. We uh, kept on working after the event nights and weekends just to get the thing off the ground. We're in central Missouri where there's not a lot of 
tech or VC funding or anything like that. And so the approach has to be bootstrapped by nature. And slowly but surely, we start to get a little traction. We get some early customers. We have some beta users. Uh, the product's not great, but it's good enough. People are like happy with uh, the end result, even if it's a struggle to sort of get the first app mm. set up. And um, that's gave us kind of all the energy we needed to just keep plugging away at it. And, you know, uh, obviously there's a ton of details in between that and where we're at today, but uh, the long and short of it is we just kept on working at it. And uh, that sort of discipline over the course of 10 years can lead to, you know, something that is larger than you could have imagined uh, at the start of it. Awesome. Awesome story. I'm curious to know, what are some of the surprising use cases uh, that your community has built on Zapier that you didn't expect? You bet. So I think there's a whole host of things that have been built that surprised me. You know, in the early days, Zapier was very much this point to point thing. It was like, we'll integrate Zendesk and Salesforce. We'll integrate Wufu and Aweber. And it was sort of like, great, it'll be this like very simple integration tool. And I still remember very vividly, very early on, you know, maybe a year or two in, we got an email from a customer that was like, hey, your all's product is great. I built an entire business off the back of this thing uh, in a weekend. I love what you're doing. And I, it sort of made me go, huh, what is that business? And uh, he sent me over a link to it. And he built this site. I think they still run today. Is that, there's actually two of them. One is called uh, Seinfeld Quote, and the other is called Kanye Text. And so the <laughs> idea behind these two apps is basically the same, but one is filled with Seinfeld quotes and the other is filled with Kanye quotes. Uh, and the idea is you go to this landing page, you put in a phone number for a friend and you pay either you know $5, $10 or $20. And depending on how much you pay, you get more quotes or more texts. But what it does is the phone number you put in, it starts to eat, text that person various quotes uh, at a delay. So you know, day one, it'll send you this. Day two, it'll send you that. Day three, it'll send you the next one so on and so forth from this various thing. And so he built this little app in a weekend on Incredible. Zapier, on Twilio, on Google Sheets, and on Stripe. I think it was those four tools. I might, um, I might have gotten that wrong, but um, some set of tools. And very quickly, he was earning more money from those little apps than it cost to pay for all the apps themselves. And so that to me was the first time where I realized, wow, the possibilities of what you can build with Zapier far exceed these simple little integrations. We're actually talking about folks who can build full-on applications, who can automate full-on different things. It's not just about simple integration anymore. It's about empowering people to build stuff that they didn't think they could do before. And so that was one that like the, these two silly, somewhat joke apps, like planted a seed for what I think Zapper could become in the future. Right. I really want to say that the internet doesn't cease to amaze me. <laughs> the creativity out there is pretty crazy, but Indeed. that's such a good story. Yeah. Um, so I know that your team also launched a new product recently called Transfer. Um, would you like to tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. Transfer is one of those things that uh, came from years and years of feedback from our customers. You know, one of the great things about Zapier is that you can automate all this ongoing events that happen inside your applications. When this happens, send it over there. When this happens, trigger this event there. But one of the things that folks wanted from Zapier is the ability to say, actually, I actually already have like a ton of data in one of this service, and it would be really useful for me to get all, all this stuff moved into this other area or replicated here too. And so transfer is basically that. It uses the same 
like logic that you think of with Zapier where it's like, hey, move this thing from this thing, but it allows you to do it in bulk. It allows you to go back in time and move anything that you've got based on various rules and conditions to another service. And so far, you know, it's been out for about a week now and uh, we've seen a lot of uh, uses around a whole bunch of different tools uh, to date. So uh, if that sounds like a problem you got, maybe check it out. Awesome. Well noted. So Zapier just reached $140 million in revenue uh, this year. Um, that's less than 10 years since you started. And you guys have only raised $1.4 million in VC funding. Given these numbers, I mean, you must be having VCs beating down your door all the time. And I just wanted to understand kind of your take on VC fundraising, because I think it's quite unusual to be bootstrapping or raising so little for a company like yours. Yeah. I, I mean, my take is that uh, funding is a tool in your tool belt to help you achieve your mission. You know, it's something that you can reach for and utilize to help you grow, help you go through um, uh, different stages in your uh, business path. However, I think too many folks uh, approach it as like a necessary thing. Now, for your type of business, it might be a necessary thing, but it might also not. You know, in Zapier's case, we have a really low customer acquisition cost. We have really efficient go-to-market motion. We're able to generate cash returns very quickly after getting customers. And so as a result, it's not a capital-intensive business. And so that enables us to do this much more effectively without external capital. More founders would do well to really understand their unit economics early, or at least try and map out what they think they will be. Uh, and this doesn't have to be some, you know, super academic exercise. You don't have to have like financial wizards or accountant whiz bangs doing this stuff. You just got to do some basic math around how the business works. When do you, you know, what's the cost to acquire a customer? How quickly do you recoup that? What's the revenue you think you'll generate? Even with a lot of assumptions, you can start to figure out what that model might look like and how important venture capital or, um, you know, any sort of capital doesn't necessarily have to be venture capital. It could be debt. It could be other instruments that you're considering would be to accelerating your growth. If you feel like you have a heavy upfront cost, but a really long lifetime value, then okay. Hey, you are going to want some of that upfront capital and access to cash to help you grow quicker. So Anyway, like we're starting to get into the weeds here. I think the important aspect is for folks to understand how to utilize that tool to help them get to the mission, to, to the ends themselves, rather than seeing the capital as the goal in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely some very tangible um, fundraising advice. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your growth story because it's been quite spectacular. So you've done 100x in 10 years. What are the different growth strategies that you used initially in the early days um, to grow Zapier? Yeah, you know, we've benefited a lot from our content and partnership strategy. You know, we have written a ton about the various different use cases that you can use. I think this is really important when you have a very general horizontal tool. You know, no one is going out and saying like, what's, what is the best automation platform I can use? That's a really like vague, ambiguous thing. It's not super well known. But a lot of people are going out and searching, hey, how do I better create integrations between Google Sheets and Salesforce? Or how can I um, make sure that my leads automatically go from this to that? And so by really getting focused in on the types of ways that people might use the product and thinking about the different things that folks might be searching for, we're able to write content, spin up pages that are going to better relate to our, our customers. So that's a big part of it. The second thing we've benefited a lot from was our big partner ecosystem. Today, Zapier has over 4,000 different apps. 
that we connect with. And every time we launched a new app, we would be thinking about what are the new use cases that are going to matter for the folks who use that platform. So when we, you know, launch something like a Salesforce integration, we would sit down and go, okay, Salesforce is a CRM. A lot of sales folks are using it. What are the types of automation needs that someone associated with Salesforce and CRM might look like? And as a result, we try and come up with uh, a marketing um, launch in tandem with Salesforce so that they would be promoting the new integration with their customers as well. And in doing so, that gave us each new app that we would add would give us access to a new set of potential users. Um, so these two, okay, you mentioned these two strategies. Do you have any like quick tactics that have proven to be very effective, especially, you know, in the early days? You know, I, uh, I think a lot of founders focus on making a great product. A great product is certainly necessary for having long-term success, but they think less about how are they going to reach their customers? Who is the ideal customer? What is going to be the thing that gets um, them to grow? And in the early days, I think one of the things we got right was not only were we thinking about how does the product work, but also how does the product reach customers? And so building a product with a go-to-market motion in mind and one that's symbiotic is a lot easier than building a product and then figuring out how do you bolt a go-to-market motion on top of that. Uh, and so one of the, it's not really a trick so much. It's more just something to think about as you're building out your product is like, how do you expect this to reach your customers? And as a result, it influences how you think about this. Is this something that's going to be found through a sales team? Is this something that's going to have some viral component? Is this a big content site that's going to uh, predominantly find folks through search or paid marketing, things like that. And so really thinking through what you think those key ways that your customers might find enables you to build a product with those types of hooks in them in advance. So you mentioned uh, sales teams, and I wanted to ask you about the configuration of your teams at Zapier, because I know that you guys don't actually have sales teams, which is quite unusual uh, for software companies. And so how did you come to making that decision? Did you ever have a sales team that you killed uh, or was it a choice from the start? For us, again, the go-to-market motion was predominantly around content and partnerships. And so we were getting a lot of these users to come land on our site direct to Zapier without having to pay. And we also poured a lot of energy into making sure that the product was easy to set up and something that you didn't need a implementation specialist handholding you to get going. And as a result, what that enabled was us to have a freemium business model. So we could have people who are able to start using the product without paying it at all. As a result, like our pricing and packaging was always quite affordable for most types of businesses, no matter if you are, you know, a tiny, you know, small business like Bob's Donuts or something like that, or, you know, a larger company, it meant that you could come in and just get started with Zapier with zero friction. Uh, that motion is not as conducive to a sales team, at least not initially, because sales teams, you have to pay a salary to make sure that uh, they want to work for you. And it, when you're doing that, you have to get your price points right. And so, you know, for a sales org, you can maybe start to get price points working at maybe $500 a month, something like that. Uh, and so for most of the early days of Zapier, that was a segment we weren't as focused on. We were really focused on this self-serve freemium business model, get people in without any friction going. 
And so that's where we spent, you know, probably eight of the 10 years of our existence really getting good at that. It's only been in the last year or so that we started to figure out, okay, here's how we can better help some of those larger customers. And in doing so, we've started to add in things that look a lot more like uh, an inside sales team. So we don't, we're not zero sales right. folks anymore. It's closer to maybe two or four. Uh, and I suspect that that team will grow for us significantly uh, over the next three years as we try and better serve larger teams and organizations with automation as well. But it's something that's going to be additive to Zapier, not necessarily something that's going to be replacing this really good self-serve freemium, uh, easy to use product that we've um, built uh, already. Got it. Um, how many are you around the world right now? Zapier is about 500 plus people or so. Okay. And from day one, you've been remote. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, we started in central Missouri. It was a nights and weekends side project. These side projects don't have money for offices. So we just got really used to working uh, via chat, via video conferencing, things like that. We did go through Y Combinator in the summer of 2012. And during that period, the three of us shared a two bedroom apartment together. And after that, though, we sort of uh, went back to like working in uh, various cities across the, the world. And since that point in time, we've never once uh, had a lease that we've used for an office. Amazing. You guys have actually been remote before remote was forced or, you know, trendy. <laughs> um, do you have any tactics, like any tips uh, for best practices? Like how do you do remote properly? Because obviously remote comes with a lot of challenges. We saw that during COVID. Uh, there needs to be some sort of, some sort of, you know, platform that enables it to thrive? Yeah, I think the key thing is that remote requires a certain amount of discipline for how you work. And the reality is this discipline is going to be necessary no matter the type of company you're running, the bigger you get. You know, once you get to uh, the size of a company where no one, folks can't be in the same building or even sometimes the same floor of a building, you start to realize a lot of work starts happening over instant message, over email, uh, over things like that, because people don't want to go to the other building or walk to the different floor, right? So work necessarily becomes more remote, even when you're in an office setting. So I think for folks who are in those office settings and thinking about transition to remote, that's one consideration to think about is the discipline that's required to operate with it. So alongside that, I think it's really important to think about what are your sort of, what's the communication highway inside your organization? Where do people go to for information? What are the rules of the road and etiquette around your various communication channels, whether that's Slack or email or Zoom or what have you, you wanna think about when do you do those things? How do those decisions get made? It also requires you to be a lot more clear about what your strategy and what your goals are. And so you want anyone who joins your company to be able to really connect the work that they're doing to the broader mission. And so you're gonna have to get a lot better at spelling that stuff out earlier in your company's life cycle. Again, these are things that are become important anyway as you grow, but in a remote first organization that's small, you gotta think about this stuff early on. The last thing that I think is really important to consider is how you do teamwork, camaraderie, social bonds, things like that. One of the challenges, certainly I'm sure a lot of folks can resonate with this over the last 18 months is that Remote work can be lonely and yeah. it's really important to find mechanisms that enable your teammates to connect with each other as humans. Remote work is a lot better for productivity, but it's harder for relationships. 
And so it's really important to figure out how do we make sure to create space to forge some of those bonds, forge some of those connections. At Zapier, a few of the things we've done that have helped, they're not a silver bullet, but they help, Mm -hmm. are things like investing a lot in onboarding. So when folks join the company, we actually have them join in cohorts. Every two weeks, there's a new set of people that join together and they go through onboarding together. They learn from each other together. And so all that stuff enables them to start to form a little bit of a bond amongst a few folks right out the gate, which is really important. Other things that we've done are uh, inside of Slack, we have a whole bunch of off-topic channels where folks can sort of get together as a group based on their shared interests. So there's things like fun movies or fun music or fun gardening or fun almost anything that you can think of where people from different walks of life can sort of share some of those common interests. It recreates a little bit of that water cooler. Mm. Uh, For folks who are worried about having like all this off work chatter inside of Slack, um, you know, I think that's certainly, uh, I understand that concern, but I think what we've found and experienced is that folks don't waste a ton of time in those channels. Instead, it's something that pops in. There'll be a discussion or two around a thing, maybe, you know, once a day or once a week even, or something like that. But just even that amount of communication there starts to help you build a relationship with somebody. The last thing I think that has been really effective though has been not a tool we've been able to rely on through the pandemic is in-person events. So we will do uh, retreats twice a year where we actually fly everyone to a singular location and uh, put on uh, an in-person event, sort of like a mini conference uh, for the team. And those events really do a lot to sort of establish those relationships, bonds, cultural key moments, things like that. And so as we start to have better tools to meet in person again in a safe way, we're looking forward to doing that again. Okay, awesome. Cool. Um, I know that a few years ago, you also launched uh, the location package, which was a 10K package uh, for people that wanted to move away from the Bay Area. Um, How did that reasoning come about? Back in the day. <laughs> that was kind of a harebrained idea that one of our engineers thought of. We were at one of those offsite uh, retreats where we'd had everybody together and sitting around a campfire at night. And someone sort of had this idea where we'd had a few folks that had joined the team at that point in time who were living in the Bay Area, but immediately, you know, within a month of accepting the Zapier offer, moved somewhere else. I think one moved to Florida, one had moved to Pennsylvania. And in both instances, it was to be closer to family. You know, they wanted to be had some aging parents. They were maybe starting families. You know, life things meant that family started to take a much more important role in how they thought about architecting, uh, you know, their, their environment. And so from that insight, folks thought, hey, I wonder if there's other folks, you know, in the Bay Area who similarly, if they had a good job, if they could work at an interesting company, might make the choice to say, you know what, I can have my cake and eat it too. You know, I can have a great company to work for that's doing interesting things from a technology perspective. And I can also be near my family. And so based on that, we thought, hey, let's turn this uh, relocation thing on its head. Instead of paying people to move to one particular location, we'll pay folks to move away from that location anywhere else. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the inspiration for the idea. Okay, awesome. Is it still in place today? Yeah, we still have it in place today. I don't know what the stats are, but certainly right after we launched it, we had a huge influx of applicants from the Bay Area and had a lot more uh, people taking us up on it. Right. I feel like that says a lot about the tech talent over there. Indeed. Awesome. 
Okay, so I want to come back a little bit uh, to the software space and kind of ask you as one of the leaders uh, in this space, what are some of the technologies that you're most excited about at the moment? Well, uh, you know, I think there's two things that uh, I'm not nearly as well-informed on as I'd like to be that I'm spending some time getting to know. Uh, you know, one area that I'm uh, paying attention to is uh, Web3 and certainly this idea of, you know, decentralized apps built on uh, blockchain. I think there's a lot of interesting uh ramifications for that for the future in terms of how people um, uh, sort of move data around and how that applies to work. So that's one area I'm spending some time. Uh, also very interested in sort of generalized AI machine learning. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, uh, OpenAI in particular is one company that I think is doing a lot of fascinating work there with, uh, you know, GPT-3 and other types of technology. Uh, it certainly seems like when you play around with some of the early prototypes there, it, it very much feels like you're, you're playing in the future. And so those are two areas that I think are um, going to have a lot more implications for the future uh, as the technology continues to advance in our adoption and use cases around those things, get more experimentation. Other than OpenAI, are there other companies that you're looking at and that you're super excited about? I mean, there's definitely a lot of companies that I think are incredibly impressive, certainly in you know Zapier's ecosystem, uh, you know, there's companies like Stripe and Webflow and Airtable and any of these companies that I think are uh, making it yeah. easier for non-technical folks to build and create applications are things that we really get excited at, about at Zapier. You know, I think all, at Zapier, our mission is about uh, making automation accessible and easy for everyone. And, uh, you know, any of these other tools that really take something that previously required you to know how to code and make it so that someone with an idea anywhere in the world can get started in minutes uh, without having to like learn this whole new skill set over years and years and years uh, and instead be a thing that they can make in a weekend like that to me gets really really exciting for sure and I can't help but wonder what is the long-term vision that you have for Zapier yeah you know for us the big long-term vision is that we do want to make automation work for everyone you know I think the mainstream narrative around automation today is that it's this scary thing you know the bad version of automation is something that happens to somebody it comes for you it takes your job it reduces wages but automation doesn't have to work like that the best version of automation is a tool that works for you. It's something that makes you better at your job. It's something that allows you to tackle more creative pursuits, that allows you to uh, stretch your abilities into areas that you didn't think that were possible for, for. But it requires making tools that are really accessible to everybody. And so we're really focused on how do we build technology that the mainstream user, the business user can pick up, adopt, can learn in a weekend and can figure out how to solve a whole host of varieties of problems that they find in their work and life. And so that's the thing that we really get excited about solving over the next 10 years. Okay. So today I f Zapier is mostly doing API connection between the different tools. Um, down the line, will that still be the Zapier tagline? Yeah, I think, you know, logic, the integration between different tools is very much in a key part of automation. You know, this idea of uh, you know, when it, these certain events happen in various apps and connecting to other tools, like that is going to be a huge part of the future. We see more and more uh, sort of explosion of tools that people use at work. And with more and more tools, the 
need for automation grows, the need for connecting these different tools for enable them to perform various tasks across these things you're using at work becomes more and more important. And so we definitely see that point-to-point integration, uh, those workflows being a core part of Zapier's story uh, as well in the future. Awesome. Okay, Wade, one last question. So the audience that we have at Station F is mostly early stage entrepreneurs. Um, so pre-seed, seed, and series A really latest. What are, if you could share one lesson, what would be uh, a le- that lesson that you want to share? You know, I think it's just, just do it is the honest answer. You know, I think it's launch sooner than you think you can you know, put your pricing plans up sooner than you think you had, try to be better at sales and marketing sooner than you think you have. Like all of these things enable you to start to build feedback mechanisms with your customer quicker. It allows you to learn faster. You know, it's so tempting as a, you know, an early stage folk to think we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. Not quite. We don't have it quite good enough yet. I'm not sure quite how to do this yet. I'm not sure how to do that yet. And the best way to figure out if you are ready is to just try, to just get out and go. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, over 10 years, you know, some of the most magical moments inside of Zapier have been times when we just went for it, took a leap of faith, tried to do a thing, even when there wasn't a clear business case or a clear rationale that it would work. Those are the moments where we found ourselves most surprised with the, the outcome. Not all of them have been positive, but some of the best outcomes have come from that. Just a, a sort of twinkle in our eye of like, hmm, this, this seems like something here. Let's give it a whirl. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Wade, for your time. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Station F podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you'd like to suggest a topic or a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Twitter or at Cindy at StationF.co. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Deezer. So make sure to follow us to not miss any of our upcoming episodes. See you soon.